Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. It's John Pollock. A very big news item coming down today, and that meant that we had to put out the bat signal for wrestling's chief WrestleNomics officer himself, Brandon Thurston, who has joined us. And before we dive into everything, Brandon, uh, my thoughts with uh, you and Western New York uh, coming off the end of a improbable run for your Buffalo oh, Bills. It was brutal last night. It was just the this, this slow attrition of, of, of an AFC championship loss. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I beat the Chiefs in Super Technical Bowl a couple of weeks ago. It was a close game. But apparently that did not translate to reality last night. Well, at least you you have enough nights probably earmarked for a Raymond James Stadium event. Why why add something else in two weeks? Yeah, Tom Brady is going to play at home in Raymond James Stadium. I, I guess they have to bring in you know at least they're booking the big heel in in the big match at the end of the season. So. What, a, what, a, what a story! They they certainly oh. uh, lucked themselves out for the, uh, the the local story there in uh, in Tampa. But we are here to discuss. The WWE's multi-year deal with NBCU's Peacock streaming service. Uh, this announcement came down on Monday. And, I mean, certainly, Brandon, this is not something out of left field. This has been talked about uh, going back a year ago where it seemed like it was imminent that an announcement of the WWE Network licensing its pay-per-view events was was going to be made Uh Probably in time for WrestleMania last year. That deal did not come to pass. And fast forward a year, uh, this is an agreement for the entire U.S. streaming rights to the WWE Network. Was this larger in scope than you envisioned uh, such a deal for WWE to enter into? I mean, originally, um, this, as you mentioned, this is kind of a year in the making. Uh, we're recording this on the 25th. And it was January 30th, 2020, when I looked at my phone and saw that George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, the co-presidents of WWE, had been relieved of their duties. And uh, WWE basically gave the impression that they were looking to sell the network content to a major streaming player. And it sounded like maybe Vince was talking with ESPN+. Plus. I think that's some of the recording that Dave Meltzer was doing. But a deal didn't get done, and uh, COVID seems to have inter interrupted that. But uh, you know, Nick Khan came on as the new president in August. And uh, even as recently as the uh, the last earnings call in October, there was some encouragement now that I think back on it that uh, that a deal was getting closer to being done. They sort of gave the impression that they were you know in, uh, in ongoing negotiations to deal the streaming content to someone or to, to deal the network content to a streaming player. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I woke up this morning to a text message from someone who said, you're gonna have a busy day today. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and yeah, I've got the. All sorts of articles and press releases open on my computer right now. But it looks like um, you can think of it in you know this deal with Peacock sort of in terms of um, what the, the deals are like in Canada with, with Rogers. As I understand, the network is distributed through Rogers. Like you yes. can get it actually on your TV, right? Yeah. And, um, and they, they do something similar in, in India now through Sony. Is it Sony Live that they're distributing the network through in, yeah. in, uh, in India? So now we've got something kind of similar this is not exactly a cable company although nbc universal is owned by Com by comcast and uh you know all, all the articles and press releases here today are mentioning how many subscribers uh, peacock already has some i think it's 26 million uh subscribers so i guess the idea is you know uh wwe was not really growing their subscriber base they they had seemed to increase their subscribers in 2020 especially the second half of 2020 and i think that's largely related to just the overall embrace of streaming technology that consumers have made since covid 
So network subscribers were up a little bit, only a little bit here in the second half of 2020. Um, but you know, I think the idea is, you know, George Barrios, before he was fired, and Michelle Wilson, they wanted to basically do a premium tier. They wanted to do three different tiers for the network, a free tier, a standard tier, and a premium tier. And just looking at some of the back of the envelope math uh, that I've done, I think I've shared with you, it, it does look like Vince made the right call in changing direction uh, to, let, you know, instead of trying to do what they call, you know, segment the demand curve, try to get more money out of a more hardcore portion of the customer base. Rather than doing that, they've sold the rights of the, the network entirely in the U.S. to Peacock. And just doing the back the envelope math, you know, by the end of this deal, it looks like they would be up about 79% uh, on the final year of this deal, if my estimates are, are close to right, which is I don't see how they could have made a similar growth rate uh, if they had just segmented the demand curve, done a premium tier. Uh, I don't think the, the, the subscriber base would have increased to that degree or that they could have gotten a similar rate of revenue growth out of uh, just you know doing a $15 or $20 uh, tier. So some of the uh, the details for those that, that might not be familiar is that if you are a U.S. subscriber, there will be a migration process where you will be moved over to Peacock Premium, which is their ad-supported version of the Peacock streaming network, which will give you access to the network content at $4.99 per month as opposed to the current $9.99 price. You can also increase to the $9.99 tier, and then that is ad-free. So that will occur March 18th. I don't know how seamless this migration process will be, if there will be any kind of lag behind that, but that is kind of how they have described it. And then this really kicks off with their, their first uh, pay-per-view, which will be Fastlane that Sunday on March the 21st, and of course include WrestleMania, all of the major events on this. And I think you bring up a great point that this, it really does go back to a year ago that it appeared to be that philosophical difference between Vince McMahon and George Barrios and Michelle Wilson of what is the next strategy for the network. And if you are a US-based fan, I think like this was the more fan-friendly move that you will be, in theory, getting the network at equal or if not half the price that you had been paying for, along with all of the Peacock content. Yeah, that, that's really key. And you know, when I've been thinking about the potential of a streaming deal like this over the last several months, I've been sort of wringing my hands over thinking about how, you know, I, before 2014, you know, everybody was paying some somewhere around $60 for a pay-per-view. And then they came out with the network, which was a, a huge discount uh, for wrestling fans. Great deal for wrestling fans. Now you only have to pay $10 a month and you get whatever else is on the network. Um, so, And it, it, it seems to me that there would still be a lot of money in putting WrestleMania exclusively on pay-per-view. I'm sure there would be some uh, discomfort with, with, with people about paying $60 for WrestleMania again after only paying essentially $10 for it for the last seven years. Uh, but I think there would be a lot of money to be made there. But I don't think that's going to happen. I know I've uh, been seeing some questions about, you know, some concerns about, well, does this mean that, you know, one of these days WrestleMania is going to be $60 again as a sort of a standalone upcharge on Peacock? And I don't think so. I would be very surprised if that happens. I think. I think this would have been the time to rip that Band-Aid off, Brandon, would be such yeah. a, a significant deal to announce now. I mean, Peacock might have a different thought next year come WrestleMania, but I think this this would have been the time to try it. And the fact they're not, 
I think they were just fearful of that resistance that they would get that j- just any kind of change I think is going to be unsettling to a subscriber of what the what what the changeover process is that tacking on a fifty sixty dollar price tag was going to be too much for for them. Yeah. I think they're playing the yeah. long game here of just get these subscribers over. Right, for sure. Yeah, I I think um you know doing this where it's if anything a discount to to fans as you mentioned it's it's five or four ninety nine with uh, ads or it's the same price nine ninety nine uh, without ads. And, and that was another concern. You, know, you can, I've heard people, you know, in the last uh, year or so sort of, you know, express worry about, you know, it, I, I think it would be a, a lot of discomfort, a lot of friction if you were expecting people to, first of all, create a new user account and pay a, a higher fee than what they were already paying. So this, this is going to minimize that problem. Uh, it, again, it's going to be, if anything, cheaper or the same price. And you get all the access, I guess, to, to whatever, the other Peacock content is that you get, you get access to. So that's going to minimize the friction. And uh, this sounds like it will be a hopefully seamless transition from uh, from the network to, to Peacock. I guess some of the unanswered questions are, you know, as, as far as just the experience for the customer, is, is the W Network app just going to go away on my streaming device? Am I going to uh, automatically have, it sounds like I will, I will probably, so I'm a subscriber, I will probably automatically have a Peacock account, hopefully with the same username and password as my W Network account. Um, I'm probably going to have to make sure I've got the Peacock app on my streaming device. Um, I will probably get some emails. I'm thinking that's their strategy. And uh, it's, it's interesting and, and probably smart that they want to do Fastlane before WrestleMania to make sure that they have the, the technology right so that uh, WrestleMania doesn't go on the air. Uh, in April and uh, crash. Like I, I understand there's some problems with the uh, UFC pay-per-view. UFC was night. a disaster <laughs> on Saturday for ESPN plus. Like I, I, I mean, I don't have ESPN plus being in Canada, but my timeline was just full of people. And this was well into an hour into the pay-per-view that they were having enormous problems. Like to me, that would be the, the worst case scenario that they have for WrestleMania. So I, I agree with you. I think get, Fast lane out of the way and, and hopefully go with, you know, minimal problems. Like when they launched the network initially and you kind of had takeover or the, what, whatever, the arrival card as kind of your precursor to WrestleMania around the same time frame. Yeah. I think they did Elimination Chamber in February 2014 or no. Right. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't remember, but they definitely did a takeover live. That was sort of like a, you know, the, the first run. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I'd be curious to, to know if, uh, I would like to think in a fictional world that the uh, maybe that's sh- that's sh- uh, streamer that pirate that Dana White was taunting, uh, <laughs> who, who allegedly was taunting him, was uh, behind the hack that led to the uh, the complications with ESPN Plus. But it was but yeah. certainly a reversal of uh, of course for Dana White's actions <laughs> on, on Friday versus the events of Saturday night, to say the least. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of you know, uh, Nick Khan, uh, was quoted in several of these, uh, pieces for, for Variety, and he was the, the featured WWE representative in the press release. It v- very much felt like this was presented, like this was Nick Khan's first massive move since coming in as co-president. Yeah. It's, or uh, just president. Right. He's, uh, he's all over the quotes, and, uh, this looks to be a, a good deal for WWE, and, uh, that, I mean, that's what Nick Khan is, is in WWE to do. Uh, is to make big media rights deals. Um, that appears to be more than anything else. What is going to determine the financial future of WWE is how much they are able to do favorable media rights deals. Uh, he was already, uh, sort of contracted 
when he worked for CAA, Creative Artists Agency. He was basically contracted by WWE to make the, the deals that WWE finalized in 2018, which are the deals that they are currently getting paid under for uh, Raw and SmackDown. And I would guess that he was responsible or involved with the NXT deal, uh, which is coming to an end in fall as well. So, so yeah, it, it really does look like, I think I already said this, but it really does look like Vince made the right call in terms of strategy uh, with, you know, foregoing the Barrios Wilson strategy of, of doing a premium tier and just trying to sell it off for, it, it's interesting to, for, for guaranteed money, it looks like. It's interesting to know, you know, I, I, I imagine there will be questions about this on the next earnings call, which is on February 4th. You know, does WWE have any financial incentives here uh, to, to drive subs now? I, w- I would think there has to be some sort, sort of incentive structure. Uh, NBCU has got to want WWE to, to continue to do a good job promoting these pay-per-view events, right? There's, there's been this narrative already since the network launched, right, among uh, wrestling fans, and I think uh, among Meltzer and others that, you know, oh, you know, the, the pay-per-views don't have to be that good anymore because, you know, they have everybody's money on a, on a recurring basis rather than having to force everybody to make this decision every month whether or not they want to drop the money for the pay-per-view. And uh, if, if it were the case, and I doubt it's the case, but if it were the case that this is all just guaranteed money for five years and WWE has no incentive to put on good shows, uh, then you could drive even further with that narrative. But uh, I, I, I can't imagine that NBCU uh, hasn't structured some sort of incentive in, in related to that. Uh, the financials that uh, the Wall Street Journal and uh, John Orand at Sports Business Journal uh, both reported that it's a, it's a five-year pact worth uh, – North of a billion dollars over the course of those five years, which, I mean, if there's one big headline to this, it's the WWE's creation of another pillar of guaranteed revenue. When you add in the Raw and SmackDown deals uh, that have years left on them, like we're looking at, you know, give or take $670 million plus per year guaranteed with the, with the addition of this. Like this is, this is an enormous, addition to just guaranteed revenue that this company has been moving in that direction where you get a much clearer picture of what their year ahead is going to look like financially. Yeah, it's $200 million average annual value. So we think of that in, in some context. That's roughly what the value is of the current SmackDown deal for Fox. Um, this deal is going to extend a couple years beyond what, what the current SmackDown deal is for Fox. But I, just, just in, and I was doing the math. If, uh, you know, 73% of the current, uh, W network subscriber base, 73% of that is us. So if you, uh, apply that to their revenue, I think that comes out to just an estimate of something around $135 million annually for revenue from us subscribers. And, uh, I estimated that, you know, these are probably the, you know, the TV deals, I think are 10%, uh, escalations each year. So if we apply that to this deal, that would mean in year one, just for the U.S. rights, right? This, is, this would be around $160 million in year one, which is in excess of $135 million. So in terms of that, 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 that sounds like a favorable deal to WWE just in terms of revenue. And I would think that this, if anything, would just mean uh, lower expenses. Maybe Peacock takes in you know, some of the expense related to operating the network. Um, and uh, but, but it's interesting that uh, the, the stock price... The stock market is not impressed with this deal. Uh, but, but that said, the stock price has grown substantially since October. They've been on a pretty good run, uh, since October at their low point at the, uh, around the time of the last earnings call. They were at about $36 per share. 
and they've been they're up to around 55 uh, consistent growth since October. So I think you know the the stock market sees the deal today as in line roughly uh, with the expectations with the speculation of what they thought was possible anyway. And I, and I wonder even if maybe there's some smart money here that you know kind of knew uh, a, a peacock deal was coming because it, it, it seems that there was some uh, some some people in media at least over the weekend who were aware of the deal but were embargoed against uh, reporting it. Yeah, and there there was like a like a five percent jump on on Friday. I don't know if that's if that's unrelated to this or if there was, as you say, like some like quiet speculation that a deal was uh, an announcement was forthcoming. Uh, right. Monday. Last, last week, last week we, there were all these uh, analyses that came out around the same time that were just sort of upgrading the stock. So I think Evercore mm-hmm. is one firm. Guggenheim, the analyst is Curry Baker that we hear on the earnings calls. Uh, there's uh, North Coast I, I saw some analysis for as well, just uh, sort of giving favorable uh, analysis of, of the stock. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if, if they know, knew anything non-public, but, uh, you know, this has been a, a good time for the stock in the last few months or so. If you're on the Peacock side, how are you looking at this? Like certainly whenever you see these gigantic deals, it's not so much looking at this having to pay off at year one. You're looking at where are we year five of this deal in terms of taking this consumer base, making them Peacock subscribers and and staying Peacock subscribers. Uh, do you look at this in terms of uh, especially the, the revenue that the network was generating and subscriber numbers in the U.S.? We're talking about 1.1 million U.S. subscribers that like mm-hmm. what are what are the goals of Peacock here long term with this deal? Well, they're going to presumably take in every one of those 1.1 million subscribers. Right. And they've got more than 20 million subscribers separate from that. And uh, I, I, I guess a lot of these cable systems. So, so Comcast owns NBCU, which owns uh, which is, you know, they, they operate Peacock and they operate the USA Network. So a lot of Comcast customers, I think all of them have some sort of, uh, I think they have the premium access already to Peacock. Um, I'm sure there's people listening who know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, one would think that if you're, uh, if you're already having some sort of interaction with Peacock, uh, maybe you're more likely to subscribe that way. So uh, some of these articles that I'm reading today talk about the reach and how this, this helps WB reach more customers. So I think, you know, this, this should, if, should only increase the number of customers who are having some sort of interaction uh, with possibly subscribing to the W network because there's a, a lot of people who are going to be scrolling through the Peacock app for one reason or another. Um, and and so in terms of the the bigger media strategy here, there are you know the streaming wars have really heated up, and uh, all of these major media companies know that they've got to make some sort of play in streaming. Uh, again, Comcast is a cable operator, and uh, I think everybody's hedging against uh, the the attrition of cable and satellite subscriptions that's happening generally, and nobody really knows what what the what the bottom is in terms of cable subscriptions in the, in the U.S. It's it's declining. It's I think it's been declining more rapidly since COVID, and uh, you know that that seems to only be on the decline for the for the future years to come. And they've got to uh, make make these plays into streaming, even if these streaming services on their own are not profitable now. It's all a long game. It's mm-hmm. all a long investment uh, to to be profitable one day. Otherwise, you just lose lose out on on the revenue and on the, the uh, consumer base entirely. 
do you foresee this being the blueprint of how the WWE is going to operate the international versions of the network in taking kind of like distributing them piecemeal, like we've seen in India and a Rogers, almost like selling off the streaming rights to different geographical regions looking for similar deals like this, not necessarily in the, the same financial terms, but the same kind of philosophy. Yeah, for sure. I, they've said as much on the, on the previous earnings call that uh, I think there were some questions around whether they're looking to just deal the U.S. rights to the network or whether, you know, there's other international deals to be made. I'm sure they do. As you said, they've already got comparable deals in, in, in terms of uh, giving the network to a to a partner uh, in, in India and in Canada. I, I don't think there's anything similar happening in the U.K. That would be the most obvious next piece. Um, they used to be in, in business with Sky. Uh, but that ended, and now they're they're dealing with BT Sport, and I think it's Channel Five. Um, I, I don't know a ton about the UK media ecosystem, but uh, maybe there's some sort of synergy to be made there. The, the current UK deal, though, it's it's uh, it's not as if it's about to end, right? That just started in 2020, I think, and that's a, probably a five-year deal. I guess we don't know for sure; it's not been stated publicly. But they're probably set with that deal through 2024, 2025. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they want to make similar deals here. I, I think they've learned, at least with their current level of popularity, that uh, you know, W Network subscribers are only going to be about a million and a half worldwide, only about 1.1 million U.S., and uh, they're, they're saturated there. They had a year, 2019, where year over year the, uh, the subs went down, and I think, I think every quarter for about five consecutive quarters there. So, yeah, I think this is... What they want to do, the money will will not be nearly as big in other regions. U.S. is the most competitive and most lucrative region, but I definitely think they want to make similar deals around the world if they can. Do you think that um, you know, coupled with uh, the story that came out last Friday about the uh, pending departure of the NBC Sports Network, that you have you know this, you have doubled down on this relationship with NBC Universal? Does this become a potential landing spot for for NXT when that deal is up? Maybe. Um, so as you mentioned, it, it sounds like NBC Universe or NBC Sports Network is going to close at the end of the year. And a lot of the sports that they were broadcasting and are broadcasting are going to be simulcast on the USA Network. And uh, the NHL on Wednesday night is a big night for hockey, right? So that was being broadcast on NBCSN. I, I would think by the end of the year, this is just my, I would lean towards expecting you know i can't see nxt surviving in its current time slot on the usa network uh we'll go to peacock i that i would be surprised i think it stays on linear because they feel like that's the biggest place for reach and if you're usa network you know yes yes you're inherit, inheriting other sports from nbcsn but you know there's probably a, a a good time slot to to put nxt on regardless of that but it's probably would have to be a, a tuesday or a thursday night right in prime time but uh yeah it's uh you know with nbc universal i think it makes with with this deal the addition of this this deal with peacock it makes increasing sense for nbc universal to try to acquire wwe uh that said vince mcmahon i don't think is ever going to exchange any amount of money for control of his company in his lifetime but it makes increasing amount of sense when you're already essentially leasing the rights to raw and leasing the rights to this network content, and you're paying something for NXT to uh, just own the thing outright. But uh, I would not expect that in the lifetime of this experience, maybe after. 
Uh, they also mentioned that the rollout will begin on March 18th of 17,000 hours of content. And th- the way they make it sound is that they're going to be just largely uplifting what is the current domestic version of the network onto the Peacock platform. I guess I'm curious if there is any, if Peacock is going to be comfortable, whether it be with like certain content that they're going to be hosting, are they going to have any say in that? Or are they going to be completely hands off and just want to deliver as seamless a transition as possible that everything that is there now will be up on the Peacock network on March 18th? I would imagine it's going to be, you know, I, I imagine NBC Universal looks at this WWE company and, and figures, you know, they know wrestling, they know what they're doing, we're just going to let them do what they do. And NBC Universal exerts, I'm sure they exert some feedback on, uh, on WWE. Uh, supposedly they, they had some input on the, the 24-7 title, right, coming to be, right? But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that uh, they're going to let WWE do what they want, and that's certainly, uh, the disposition of, of what Vince would want. What are the questions you have uh, coming out of this that you hope are addressed next week on the on the call? Because certainly, I, I would imagine this is going to dominate the Q and A. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, what's what does this mean for for the expenses related to the network for WWE? Uh, WWE has been operating this streaming service direct to consumer since 2014. Does this mean that Peacock takes in uh, any of the expense for them? Like, do do does uh, do the IT costs now for some of that, like, you know, providing the bandwidth to stream all these hours across all these millions of people. Does, does, does Peacock take in any of that expense? If so, that, that increases what you would speculate the profitability of this move is. Um, I would, again, I would think it would only lower the expense, but, uh, I, I would, you know, if I'm a, a W network employee, I'd be a little bit unsure about what the future uh, of of everybody's you know job and responsibilities are going to be is again is some of this going to be you know taken in house to, to Peacock I don't know um, it, it's interesting to look at the um, the press release they put out they put out two press releases this morning one about just about sort of more consumer or, I don't know I guess consumer facing another one more investor facing the the one that was directed more at investors. Uh, it didn't look like the, uh, so they, they put out this metric called adjusted OEBA, which is sort of this magic non-gap, non-generally accounting, generally accepted accounting principles. Uh, so there's, there's operating income, then there's like adjusted OEBA, which is sort of this, this sort of made up, uh, profit metric that W uses to talk about profit in a way that pleases them. So, but anyway, they basically said that their profit, uh, their profit expectations for 2021, uh, I, I could re- read you the number, but it's uh, it, it didn't look like it was any higher than what I had previously expected it to be. So it didn't look like, you know, this move makes W all that more profitable. It's 270 million to 305 million is is the range of 2021 adjusted OEBA guidance. Basically, that's the, they're saying this is what we expect our profitability to be in 2021, mm-hmm. and that's that's not, that's actually and maybe I was being too optimistic earlier, but I, when I did a an estimate in November, I think, for 2021. I expected more than that. So it's not as if this gets W to be substantially more profitable, at least in 2021. Again, this this is a five-year deal, and there's probably something in the range of 10% escalators per year. So maybe that will change in 2022 and so on. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions on the earnings call of trying to unpack uh, trying to get some hints about 
just how this deal is structured in terms of what does it mean for WE expenses and what does it mean for are there any incentives that WE uh, benefits from if you know subscribers uh, are higher rather than lower. When you look at the the last seven years and the and the rollout of the network, I mean, how would you characterize this move, knowing that this deal comes at, at the end of it? The network went through many different iterations and uh, uh, different ideas and philosophies behind it. Uh, at the end of it, they they land this this guaranteed deal for five years. Uh, would you would you categorize this as overall that they got in they got in early, but at the end of the day, it was a success given today's news? Well, I think if, you know, if in hindsight, if you could go back to 2014 and, and, uh, pick a strategy that makes W as profitable as possible, I think they squandered a great deal of value by, by executing the network in the way that they did at the price point that they did. Um, just in the last several months, I, w- I was doing some research about the, the price elasticity of, of W pay-per-views. You think about the history of, of this product in, in that. You think about how in the 90s it was about a $30 price point for pay-per-views. And then they did the in-your-house pay-per-views at $15. The idea was that you know this would be a, a two-hour pay-per-view rather than a three-hour pay-per-view. We charge $15 for it rather than $30. And uh, the lower price point didn't didn't exactly att- attract a, uh, a commensurate uh, amount of customers. They raised the price, and uh, if anything... You know, buys went up a little bit. And the point is, as as the pay per view price was increased, it didn't seem to to drive down the volume of of buys that they were able to make. So, I think, you know, in hindsight, uh, you know, I, I was very excited about the W Network in 2014 when it was happening. It was a great deal for fans. You got to pay ten dollars rather than sixty. It's a great deal. Um, but in hindsight, I think you know, Barrios Wilson over projected the ways in which WB can be a tech company. I think they, they saw the W network in terms of Netflix when, when WB is, is in fact this weird medium that is really unlike anything else in entertainment or sports. Um, and that it's, it's a little bit more like sports than it is like scripted entertainment. And I think they saw all these other opportunities in terms of the kind of data that they could collect. They could sell the data. They could use the data for marketing. And as it turned out, there weren't really as many opportunities to do that as they thought. Um, I, I think the optimal strategy might have been to, oh, do some, something like the network, but uh, to maybe do a higher price point per month, maybe $20 per month, or to keep WrestleMania as a standalone traditional style pay-per-view offering. Um, but, you know, you, you can't go back in time and it would be... It, it, it would be a uh, unpleasant experience for customers if you tried to put the genie back in the bottle and charge everybody sixty dollars for pay-per-views again. So, be that as it may, uh, this is the the world that you live in now, and uh, this was a good deal for for WWE in terms of what they what they had at the beginning of of twenty twenty. You know, it's a it's a more favorable outcome than than what Barrios is driving them towards. 
Well, Brandon, I know it's a very busy day for you, so I want to thank you for uh, joining us uh, to give, uh, as they say, some color on this story today. Uh, I encourage everyone to go check out all of his fine work, uh, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of audio from Brandon. Uh, maybe we'll even get uh, some quotes from Vince McMahon on an upcoming edition of WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, so, Brandon, uh, thank you very much, and I hope that we can uh, speak with you after next week's earnings call. It seems like these are always – they always know how to shoot their angles ahead of these earnings calls for maximum interest right I'm, I'm working on a big report on the uh, the year of 2020 putting out all these metrics and putting out putting in a little bit of of writing and insight and opinion about uh, the year that was in the, in the industry entirely including wb but uh yeah when i did it last year it was just uh days later that uh, that wb fired barrows and wilson so uh they put out another big news story hopefully i'll be i'll be having that out for everybody at the end of the month it'll probably be on pay hit as well as it'll be just given to the uh, the current patrons at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Highest of recommendations for all of this uh, uh, work created by one Brandon Thurston. And thank you again. He is at Brandon Thurston on Twitter. And Wayne and I will be back later tonight after Raw. We'll be talking about this story and much more. Thank you for listening to Post Wrestling. <laughs>